welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Vahanna. Alongside me, as always, is fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been? I'm pretty good, Garrett. Well, Robbie, uh, we have we finally have some playoff hockey to talk about and dissect as the Pittsburgh Penguins have played uh, the first two games of their opening round series against division rival New York Islanders. Uh, and so far, Robbie, both teams have one game apiece to their name as by the time you're listening to this podcast, you will likely be waiting for uh, game number three as Either the Penguins or the Islanders look to gain an advantage in the series two to one. Uh, but while we wait for the Penguins and Islanders game number three, we have some hockey to talk about. We'll start by recapping the the first two games of this series, and we'll start with uh, game number one coming on May sixteenth, two thousand twenty-one. Robbie, I think looking back at this game, the 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 big talking point, and it has been the talking point uh, throughout Pittsburgh media was uh, that was Tristan Jari's glove hand as the Islanders get the win over the Penguins here to take a 1-0 series lead in overtime. The Islanders win this game by a score of 4-3. to Kyle Palmieri gets the scoring going at the 7.58 mark of the first period. The Islanders out to a 1-0 lead. However, Frederick Gaudreau would answer back, getting his first goal of the playoffs, tying the game at 1 at the 11.10 mark of the first period. Into the second period now, Sidney Crosby getting his first goal of the 2021 playoffs. Pittsburgh out to a 2-1 to lead here. That goal coming, coming at the 347 mark of the second period. Into the third period now, and this is where a lot of the scoring would take place, as John Gabriel Patagero would get on the score sheet at the 333 mark of the third period. Once again, tying it up for the Islanders. The game tied at two goals apiece. Brock Nelson would give the Islanders the lead at the 1550 mark of the third period period. The Islanders up three to two. However, Kasperi Kapanen would answer back for the Penguins seconds later, uh, retying the game for the Penguins. The Penguins and Islanders go into overtime. Well, where Kyle Palmieri gets his second goal of the game. He gets the overtime winner at the 1630 mark of, of, of overtime. And Robbie, like I had mentioned to you at the start, I, I think the, the, the talking point around this game has, has been, Tristan Jari's rather, rather bad play in net. All four goals coming over the glove hand of Tristan Jari. Uh, not a great performance by any stretch of the imagination. So I'll hand it over to you so you can give some of your thoughts from what you saw between the Penguins and Islanders from game number one. This was definitely a game the Penguins should have won. They, After going down early, they kind of took over that game, controlled it, let in shots, they were peppering Sororkin, but the great equalizer was goaltending. The Penguins had leads, watch them go away, just because they didn't seem like they could get that save from Justin Jari in game one, and the glove hand was uh, victimized on all four goals against uh, the last one, not quite as much, but he just he just couldn't come up with that timely save. He made some nice saves, he he bailed him out a couple of times, but every time they had a lead, uh, the Islanders just kept chipping away, and they, they picked a spot, and they got their goals, and they stayed in the game. And that's the kind of team they are. They're not a team that's going to come from behind uh, from multi-goal deficits, but they have enough talent to just overcome one-goal deficits, especially when the opposing goaltender is not hot. 
So you have to credit them for keep, uh, to keep fighting and finding a way to force overtime. But the Penguins the same. When they went down 3-2 in third, it kind of looked like that game was over. But Casbury Kapanen answered right back and and forced overtime. Unfortunately, the Penguins couldn't pull it out in overtime. But, I mean, overall, it's just a game that you think you should have won. You probably should have won, but you didn't win, and that's playoff hockey. Uh, but for uh, for the Penguins, they took a lot out of that game. They learned a lot about themselves. And there was talk about maybe not starting in jarring game two, but uh, Mike Sullivan didn't really have a choice with Casey Smith being out with an injury, so he stuck with him, and uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but it turned out to be a good idea. Yeah, and we'll get to that momentarily. I'd just like to go through some of these uh, box score statistics here before we move into game number two. Uh, the, the Islanders have 41 shots on goal. The Penguins, uh, 42 shots on goal. The Penguins winning 53% of their faceoffs. Uh, however, the Penguins uh, do go 0 for 3 on the power play, and that's a, another theme that we could get into after the recap segment here, talking about missed opportunities uh, to put the game away at several different points. Again, the Penguins going 0 for 3 on the power play. Uh, looking at the hits column, Robbie, I don't know if this is correct. I'm getting these statistics from the NHL's official website. Uh, it says the Islanders had 72 hits to the Penguins' 47 over uh, the course of this of the uh 60 plus minutes there in game number one 72 hits seems like a lot but at the same time i'm kind of like well for an islanders team coached by barry trotz i kind of expect it uh that was a that was a kind of jarring statistic to see however like you said robbie uh the, the penguins and mike sullivan wanted to stick behind tristan jari uh Mike Sullivan really had no other choice. You mentioned Casey DeSmith still dealing with an injury. The only other option would have been going to uh, journeyman goaltender Maxime Legacy. I don't think Mike Sullivan would have done that unless things would have gotten really out of hand. Uh, but heading into game two, May 18th, 2021, uh, game number two between the Penguins and Islanders, this would be a different result for the Penguins, one that I'm sure they enjoyed compared to game number one. They win this game by a score of two to one. Robbie, this was, uh, this was the quintessential playoff hockey game, winning a two to one hockey game, close affair. Brian Rust getting the Penguins on the score sheet at the 322 mark of the first period. And Robbie, we might talk about the goal that Russ scored individually, uh, but I'd just like to point out, boy, what what a what a goal to give up if you're uh, Semyon Varlamov, who is back, who was back in net for the Islanders. This goal goes over, uh, goes over his glove side, and it, it looked like to me, Robbie, when Russ scored this goal, if you've played the NHL video games. When uh, when your controller disconnects and you're playing your friend uh -huh. or whatever, and yeah. you get the little controller disconnect pop up, that's exactly what it reminded me of. However, Brian Rust gets the Penguins out to a one nothing lead. Jeff Carter getting on the score sheet. He can't stop scoring scoring goals in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform. He gives the Penguins a two nothing lead at the thirteen oh seven mark of the first period. That would be all the scoring you'd see in the first period of play. Into the second period, Josh Bailey breaks the shutout, gets the Islanders on the board at the fourteen forty four mark of the second period. And Robbie, after Josh Bailey got the Islanders on the board, I had an inkling that that wouldn't have been the last goal of the game. Uh, I, I was watching the game with my dad, and I kept telling him. 
whatever, whichever team scores the next goal, whether it be the Penguins or the Islanders, that team would probably end up being the winner just based on how playoff hockey momentum goes. But no other goals were scored. The Penguins came out in the third period after a rather... Uh, rather disastrous. Uh, disastrous might be too harsh of a word. They didn't play their best in the second frame. They come out in the third period, close out the lead, even with Brian Rust's brain fart of a, of a penalty he took with 90 seconds to go in regulation. Tristan Jari closes the door, gets the gets the win here, gets the confidence booster. The Penguins even up the series here as we head into game number three here, Robbie. Uh, what are your thoughts from game number two between the Penguins and Islanders? Yeah, I really thought that there was no way that Josh Bailey's goal was going to be the last goal of that game. I thought the Penguins needed three, and they were going to have to push for three. And they had some good looks at three, but Semyon Barlamov was uh, playing very well after that early flub on the Brian Russ goal, but overall, I mean, the Penguins, a completely different third period than what we experienced on Sunday afternoon. They pretty much played the perfect third period. The Islanders had few chances to get that tying goal, and when they did get a chance, Tristan Zari was there, but overall, just the perfect third period that you needed to play if you want to win a game in the playoffs like that, and that's exactly what the Penguins did. I kept everything more to the perimeter, nothing too dangerous in front of Jari. That Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev, Zach Aston Reese line was just absolutely on the money defensively in that third period. Uh, one heck of a period from that crew. Uh, it would have been nice to get a third goal, obviously, for um, uh, to get that cushion, but they just couldn't get crack Varlamov, and they couldn't quite crack the uh, the empty net as well. And then, you, of course, the only penalty against the Penguins in the game that led to a, an Islanders power play was the Brian Rust, like you said, Brian Rust brain fart play where he closed his hand on the puck and literally picked it up and threw it. When all he had to do when I watched the replay is realize all he had to do was literally just punch and he could have yeah. knocked it out of the zone. And, yeah, that led to an interesting 90-ish seconds, especially with the empty net. But overall, it didn't matter in the end. Penguins... Uh, close out the deal no again no real um, dangerous shot there at the end even with the two two man advantage for the islanders the penguins just closed the door and saw out that final 90 so seconds and evened up that series going back to the island looking at some of the stats between both teams i thought both goaltenders in game number two played incredibly well. Semyon Varlamov coming back in net after dealing with some sort of injury. He replaced Ilya Sorokin in game number two, making 43 saves on 45 shots, good for a 9.56 save percentage. And on Tristan Jari's side, again, I mentioned it, th this game, there really was no other option for Tristan Jari other than winning this game. Uh, if the Penguins really had a realistic chance of, of, of coming and, and trying to win this series, if they go to the Island down 0-2 in the series, and we had talked about it on last week's show, no matter, no matter what the, what the capacity is for, uh, for the games that the Islanders play uh, at the Coliseum, it's still a very difficult uh, place to play against. The Islanders have that home ice advantage. Jari gets the win here, making 37 saves on 38 shots, good for a 974 save percentage. Uh, really all-around great performance for Tristan Jari and the Penguins getting the win, evening up the series. The Penguins have 45 shots on goal to the Islanders, 38. Pittsburgh winning 52% of their face-offs. 
The Penguins lay two goose eggs on the power play. Uh, they have 37 hits to the Islanders, 46 hits. And now, Robbie, we, we wait for game number three and to see how the rest of this series will play out. I, I think, I don't know if over the course of a seven game series, if there, if you can make, if you can draw too many conclusions based on the sample sizes of what you're getting over the course of seven games, but for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of what we've watched over the course of two games, it's safe to say that the penguins aren't a perfect team. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about this week with the series split at one game apiece. Uh, what to what to you is your biggest issue with the Penguins so far? They're a combined 0 for 5 on the power play. It seems like they have an inability to finish odd man rushes, which is pretty crazy considering the amount of offensive talent that's on that team. They've given up 79 shots on goal through two games. Or do you have another issue that maybe I may not have uh, may not have listed here that that is scaring you or giving you a little bit of apprehension heading into game number three? I think there's plenty of areas that can give fans apprehension after these first two games. And um, the Islanders are not an offensive team. So to give up that many shots might be a little concerning, especially when your goaltender isn't exactly the strongest part of your team. You kind of would like to shore that, I think, see that shored up a little bit. So you're not, um, uh, you're not putting all the pressure on him. Uh, the power play is obviously frustrating just because they have way too, it, they were fourth in the league in the in the regular season. It just there's too much talent there, even without Evgeny Malkin. Just too much talent there not to be at least scoring um, on some of those attempts. And really, outside of one or maybe just one power play, they haven't even looked good on the power play, um, getting set up and stuff. So that's obviously a very glaring hole, especially when you have chances to put games on ice, especially in game one with the man advantage, and you just and you can't do it, and that comes back to comes back to bite you especially this time of year and the on-man rushes rushes thing feels like it's been a season-long conundrum for the penguins and i don't understand it it's it's like someone's telling them to pass they have to try to make a pass and you sometimes you just gotta shoot whoever it is i don't care if it's crosby i don't care if it's mccann carter tanev bluger who shoot the puck and again against a good goalie like varlamov uh, and even Sorokin. Sorokin's a really good goalie as well. You have to be able to get shots on that. And when you have a goalie that gives up a softy like Varlamov did last night, you just got to keep peppering him. Uh, maybe he gives up another. Uh, he did make some good saves. He kind of settled down. But when you have the modern man rushes, you got to take advantage. And that means just shoot the puck, get it on net, create a rebound, create havoc. And the Penguins just, they create their own havoc by passing one too many times and everything gets thrown out of proportion then. So it's just kind of uh, frustrating. There's again, they're not perfect. Like you said, but uh, they're a good team, but if they can kind of work on some of these areas, I think you're going to have a lot of success against not only the Islanders, but should they advance whoever they play going forward. That's the beauty of playoff hockey, the ebbs and flows and uh, the spike in blood pressure or the spike in anxiety uh, it's, it's the beauty of the game that we come to love at this time of, of year. Uh, no matter how imperfect the Penguins are, you're, I'm still going to tune in and I'm still going to cheer them on no matter how many mistakes they made. Hopefully, like you said, Robbie, they, they clean some things up, maybe start converting on the power play. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Game number three is uh, later tonight, and uh, we'll see 
uh, the kind of performance that the Penguins give uh, with their first game coming on the island. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, That'll do it for the main segment this week. We'll switch over to our mailbag segment. We have six questions this week in the mailbag segment. Uh, If you're a first-time listener tuning in for uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs here, finding this podcast, if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in in contributing to the Pensburg Podcast mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week we'll send out a tweet asking for your participation in the mailbag segment. We love getting all sorts of crazy, wacky, fun questions from all of our listeners who choose to uh, send us questions over. So, Robbie, like we do every week, you'll get question number one. This week's question number one comes from Commander Kern, and he goes on to say this. There's a lot of Tristan Jari hate floating around. His performance wasn't great in game one, but if he just steps it up a little, uh, Commander Kern believes we would have won the game. I trust Jari to make the adjustments and come back strong in this series. Do you believe this is well, or would you have rather started Casey DeSmith or Maxim Legacy since uh, DeSmith is still uh, recuperating from an injury? Yeah, obviously DeSmith is not, or was not an option for game two. Who knows about going to game three? But you can't, yeah, you can't pull your goalie after one game like that. I understand that there was question marks coming in about whether or not Jari was ready for this moment and against a team like the Islanders where Varlamov has pretty much been putting together a a Vezina caliber season. It's obviously a great equalizer and it wasn't game one. If you get some saves from Jari, that game turns out completely different, and it's a 2-0 series lead right now. But you saw what he can do in Game 2. He was very, very good in Game 2. The Bailey backhand was just a very good play where he spun around about half the Penguins on the ice and just placed that perfectly uh, over over Jari's shoulder. Just uh, That's just a great goal. You can't really say too much about that. But he was really good in Game 2 when he needed to be, so... Uh, again, you can't. It's only a second. That was only his third career playoff start. The first coming uh, back in uh, the qualifying round in August against the Canadiens. So you can't uh, put uh, too much on me. Still new to this, but when you, you get a guy that shows that kind of resiliency, it makes Mike Sullivan look like a genius, obviously. And I'm not a fan of pulling a guy after one game, especially a young goaltender. You don't want to destroy that confidence. Um, that that early, so uh, good on Sullivan for sticking to him. He didn't really have an option. I don't think he was going to Maxine Legacy um, at any point, uh, unless Jari gave up like five goals in the first period or something like that. Um, but no, good on Sullivan. Good on Jari for bouncing back, and um, it, you're going to see him in Game Three again. You're probably going to see him the rest of the series unless something terrible happens. Question number two comes from Penn's Hen. Speaking of the never-ending Tom Wilson woes this season, and then some, has a player ever been banned from playing professional hockey by the NHL? Thanks. 
I had a lot of fun researching this this question here, and I came up with some pretty surprising answers. Uh, unless you're a, a Bob Grove-esque historian of the game or a particular team like he is with the Penguins, uh, you might be surprised to hear what I ended up digging up. For those who know some of the history of the early, early game of hockey, uh, it was noted for its particular violence to the point where two players ended up being killed in a three-year span during brawls, and in both cases, the accused assailants were acquitted. Uh, but these kinds of incidents often led to the sport to... Uh, they wanted those who led the sport to clean up their act or face permanent punishment like having the sport being banned. And, and when talking about specific players uh, in researching here, Former Bruins defenseman Billy Kutu, I'm going to say Kutu or Kotu, he was the first and only player to date to be banned for life by the NHL for violence in 1927. He ended up assaulting referee Jerry Laflamme, tackled referee Billy Bell, and started a Stanley Cup bench-clearing brawl while the Bruins were playing the Ottawa Senators. And this was this this brawl apparently came on the orders of then Bruins head coach Art Ross. Billy Kotu was originally banned for life, but the NHL's first president at the time, Frank Calder, uh, eventually communed the sentence after two and a half years. However, Kotu would never play in the NHL again. Uh, and more recently, after uh, digging up, you may a name you may recognize, Robbie, former LA Kings defenseman Slava Voinov hasn't been, hasn't played in the NHL since 2014, I think, for uh, what was then described as unacceptable off ice conduct. As Voinov was arrested for misdemeanor domestic violence in October 2014, uh, he became eligible for reinstatement in January 2020, but he hasn't been in the NHL since. So those were a couple of uh, a couple of cases that I ended up digging up for research. That was pretty crazy what I ended up digging up in regards to that Bruins Senators line brawl that ended up having that def uh, Bruins defenseman uh, banned for life technically. But uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy how how the game of hockey has evolved from its infancy to where we are now. And some things end up coming full circle. Uh, I, I don't want to say Tom Wilson is going to be banned for life for doing something like this, but uh, you never know. Question number three for you, Robbie, comes from the Battle on the Boards podcast. Evan Rodriguez seemed to come in and play between Freddie Gaudreau and Jason Zucker while Carter centered McCann and Casper Kapanen. Why flip the lines rather than just having Rodriguez come in uh, Evgeny Malkin's spot with his wingers, those being uh, Jason Zucker and Casper Kapanen? Generally, what you're going to do in that situation is you're just going to move guys out the lineup rather than just pl uh, plug and playing uh, a replacement in the lineup. So basically, if Crosby goes out. Let's say Malkin's healthy and Crosby goes out. Malkin's more likely than not going to switch into that. One, well, not necessarily. It, it depends on what Mike Sullivan's thinking. But sometimes they might just side Malkin right up the lineup and play that one, unless he has really, really good chemistry with the guys he's playing with. So it all really depends. And I think they just because Carter has shown really good chemistry with Jared McCann, so they got to try to keep that. Um, is intact as possible. So you're going to just kind of slide him up into that 2C role uh, rather than just throw Rodriguez right in there. So 
it's it's all going to depend on what Mike Sullivan thinks is working and what he's seen, and you can't really fault him for trying to keep Carter and McCann together because it's worked so well uh, since Carter came over. And last night it ended in a in the what ended up being the game winning goal in the first period. Uh, so yeah, you're going to try to keep your chemistry intact as much as possible. Uh, just because Erod slides in there doesn't necessarily mean he's going to just slide right into the Evgeny Malkin role with the line mates and all that. So it's all really about what Mike Sullivan feels is the right thing, uh, what he sees and what he's been seeing. And really, if you've watched any of the games since Carter came over, you can see the chemistry with Jared McCann. And Mike Sullivan knows it. Uh, pretty much everybody knows it, that he's going to keep them two together and then pick another winger. Uh, to go along with that, and it was Kasperi Captain, who is a fast player, plays fast. Carter and McCann play fast. And last night, uh, that speed and that tenacity resulted in a very big goal in the first period. So uh, credit Mike Sullivan once again for uh, pressing the right buttons and getting that series even. Uh, but, yeah, when you're plugging guys in the lineup, you, you, you have to adjust the roster. So that's just an example of that, um, how that worked out uh, with – where Rodriguez is playing and where Carter is playing and who is playing alongside them. Question four comes from Noah Nur. If the Penguins don't make a push in the playoffs this year, what changes do you expect to happen, if any? I was reading one of Josh Yowie's recent pieces from The Athletic where he ends up giving his uh, 10, 10, 10 post-game observations, and this was for game number two. And uh, he was he was often he was speculating in his piece and he was speculating on Twitter that the Penguins higher ups, that specifically being Brian Burke and general manager Ron Hextall, aren't from what he believes, aren't satisfied with the Penguins star players receiving uh, a lot of punishment from the more physical play of the Islanders. Uh, and I, And there have been times throughout the first two games, Robbie, where. Specifically, Crosby has taken a lot of abuse, and and Jake Gensel, his name has been brought up for taking some pretty heavy hits. Brandon Tanev got thrust into Semyon Varlamov in game number two. Uh, He ended up, his head ended up hitting the post, I believe, and Brian Dumoulin uh, looked to escape major injury in game number two as well. Uh, if you're talking about like coaching changes, that kind of thing, if if you're saying Sullivan's seat is hot, uh, I don't think... If, if they lose to the Islanders here in this series, I'm not so sure that he just immediately gets the ax because all four teams in this Eastern Division playoff round number one, all four teams could have a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year, and that's not hyperbole. Uh, that's how good all four of these teams can be this time of year. So any major uh, explosive changes coming to the Penguins if they don't make a push this year? Uh, I, I find it hard to believe they just got the new general manager in. I don't think Mike Sullivan uh, is on a super short leash. Uh, player personnel-wise, uh, going back to what I was describing with Josh Yowie's observations, uh, that, 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 kind of, that kind of line of thinking kind of struck a chord with me because the last time the Penguins higher-ups wanted to bring in some physicality, uh, they ended up trading for Ryan Reeves at the draft in 2017, trading their first, the Penguins' first round pick in 2017 for Ryan Reeves, and Reeves ended up only registering eight points before he was shipped off by that February's trading deadline. 
for what would uh, eventually become the Derek Brassard trade. So my thought process has always been, if you want to combat bullies and if you want to stop them from going at your stars, I say you do it on the score sheet. Score more goals than the opposition, and that way the Tom Wilsons of the world uh, don't have a, as much of a as much of a desire to go after you when they're chasing the score and and you're not. Uh, that's always been you know my personal philosophy. Robbie, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't see any major changes, especially if the if if the Penguins end up losing to the Islanders in six or seven games. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, you you know that you're going to lose one player because of uh, the expansion draft. And I mean, guys are going to come and go in free agency. That's that is what it is. That's just the nature of the sport. Uh, Mike Sullivan, I think he's safe at least another year because it just he's just such a good coach, and it's really hard uh, to justify firing him when I'm not sure there's a better option out there in the market. Um, there may never be, just because he's just such a good such a good coach. He does he. More often than not, he's pressing the right buttons. You saw we talked about that earlier in the podcast that um, you saw it last night with going back to Jari and then just sticking with Z- or, um, Carter and McCann. It just that stuff that he does. That's a, that's what a great coach is. So I don't see him going anywhere. I know there was some talk, but again, new uh, a new regime is now in place, and I'm assuming they like Mike Sullivan. I think Sullivan loves being in Pittsburgh. And he's well earned that spot behind the bench. So I don't see him going anywhere this offseason. Again, this was a year like unlike any other, um, dealing with everything going on, the protocols, the shortened season, the condensed season, and all the injuries, just a masterful job by Mike Sullivan. So if there's any changes, it's going to be in player personnel, not coaching personnel, I'd say. Question number five for you, Robbie, comes from Brendan. Who are you both? Uh, who are both of you rooting for in the other East series, and why? For me, Boston is a long seven-game series, a brutal physical affair. I would rather lose to Boston than Washington have another chance at the Cup. Additionally, what other series are you loving so far? Yeah, um, man, that's really tough. Uh, I think the Penguins match up better against Washington, but from what I've seen from that series, those two teams are about as evenly matched as you possibly be they both games have gone to overtime both games have been extremely physical affairs so that way that's good for the penguins uh, to sit and or to uh, have those two teams wail on each other for hopefully seven games if every game wants to go to overtime that's great as well uh boston presents a huge matchup problem for the penguins just because that bergeron line is just so lethal and it matches up really well even against the crosby line so I think I'd rather play Washington just because I think the goaltending is a little more suspect. Uh, Tuka Rask has really played well against the Penguins in his career, uh, especially in the one playoff series they've met in. So I'm more leaning toward let's give me Washington here just because I think it's a better matchup for the Penguins. But, hey, I'll take whoever – if the Penguins are advanced and I'll go up against anyone with this Penguins team, uh, especially when they're on their top of their game. So I'm not – won't complain as long as the Penguins are still playing. Uh, additionally, what other series are you loving so far? Uh, the Minnesota Vegas series has been uh, a lot of fun, actually. Uh, I wasn't really expecting that. That game one was 0 0 uh, into overtime where Minnesota finally won. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury was playing out of his mind in game one. 
uh, Vegas answered back in game two to even that series. That, game, that series has actually been a lot of fun uh, for a series involving a team like the Wild where you usually think that they're going to slow things down. Th- that has been a pretty exciting series. And, again, the North uh, won't start until uh, this evening and Thursday, so can't really say much about them series yet. Uh, but Tampa and Florida, if you got a chance to catch, uh, especially game one of that series, those two teams were playing pedal to metal uh, for 60 minutes in that first game. And Tampa Bay is up 2 nothing on the road in that series. And Tampa Bay is probably the better team. But there's been some exciting hockey in that series, too. So um, overall, I think all the series have been pretty entertaining at this point. All right, question number six, last but not least, is Brian. Any other former players you wish were still around? Saul was the only other player besides Fleury I wish never left Pittsburgh. I do wonder what would have been. I have to imagine Jordan Stahl would still be here, part of that, the the core uh, that's always thrown around here in Pittsburgh of Crosby, Malkin, Latang. I wonder what, what, what he would have done on some of the other teams had he not gone to Carolina to play with his brother. Uh, you know, for the longest time, they the Penguins wanted to implement that three-center model of rolling out those three really dominant lines. And uh, it, it seems like this season, when looking at the depth of the Penguins, especially now with Jeff Carter, if Malkin comes back on that second line, Carter can slot into the third line. And, and of course, you have the, the buzzsaw line. Uh, with Bluger, Aston Reese, and Tanov on line number four. Uh, Carl Haglin is a name that sticks out. I made fun of him while he was here because it seemed like he had, he could never finish when the puck was on his stick. But even if he couldn't really score a lot of goals, the speed that he brought that w- with that dynamic that he brought to the HBK line, uh, that's something that... Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed watching him. He's he's a couple of years older now, so you know maybe the speed is starting to decrease. I haven't watched a lot of him with uh, him with the uh, Haglin playing in Washington with the Capitals, but yeah, that, that th- those were a couple of good players, Stahl and and Haglin. They were the first players that come to mind for me. Uh, Robbie, what about you? Any player that comes to mind that you wish was still in the black and gold? Yeah, Stahl is always one that definitely sticks out because there was just so much made about. Those three guys, Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl, and in reality, it just wasn't it wasn't going to be a long term uh, solution just because of cap reasons and stuff like that. What Stahl would have been asking for, and uh, it it really that that it does kind of sink that uh, he didn't get to uh, play longer in Pittsburgh uh, with his the role he played and how much he was loved by the fans. Uh, as for other players. I always wish that Pascal Dupuis, though he'd probably be retired now, would have maybe had a better story uh, or finishing. He ended with the um, health issues, never got to kind of complete his career. It was just kind of cut short, even though it was near the end anyway. Uh, I always would just wish Duper would have gotten an opportunity uh, to kind of go out on his own terms. But they did get to give him the cup uh, in, in that last season he was here, so... That was that was a nice a nice moment uh, for me, but yeah, guys come and go. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a guy like Yager. I always wished he would have come back to Pittsburgh. Uh, it unfortunately, never manifested itself, even after some what seemingly close calls. But no, I mean, guys come and go. That's the nature of the sport, nature of a salary cap, nature of free agency. But uh, the good thing is, most of these guys that we wish were still here gave us some really good memories while they were here. 
Yes, absolutely. I uh, couldn't have said it better myself. Robbie, good answers on your end as well. Robbie, this has been a, a pretty short episode of the Pensburg Podcast. All things considered, we're currently clocking in just over 36 minutes here. But uh, I, with, with two games in for the first round series, that's really all I wanted to talk about with you. Do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap up this Pensburg Podcast? No, I mean, hopefully next time we're recording, we're talking about the Penguins moving on. Yeah, that, that is definitely my hope as well, and I'm sure it's the hope of all of the Pensburg podcast listeners. So we will keep you updated both here and at Pensburg.com with, uh, with whatever happens with the Penguins as they continue to play the Islanders in their first round series. But for Robbie, I have been Garrett Mahana. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you.